Well, good morning and happy Mother's Day has already been said here. You know, I looked up, we're continuing our series today on Church on Fire, and I looked up Mother's Day, Church on Fire. Don't look that up. Okay, just don't, don't go looking it up. Just a lot of churches on fire on Mother's Day. That's what you end up with, okay? So that's not, the, so I was just trying to get some help on that, and the, nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing. You know, but it was because of the church and what I believe in the church, and I've preached on it often about the holy nation, you know, that allowed me to drive off, allowed us to drive off from 400 Johnson in Wake Village, Texas, and January or December 31, 1997, with my mom on her knees crying in the front yard as we drove off in that Penske truck and that Astro van and taking those four grandbabies. I don't know if she cared whether Jan and I left or not, but especially me. But what I do know is she cared that those four grandbabies were leaving. And I thought it would be for a short period of time. Honestly, we thought, well, it'll be three or four years. Our pastor in Texas County is probably going to retire. It took longer than he, you know, but anyway, but that was fine. But God had already moved us. And, yeah, we've had opportunities, as I said last week, to move at different times over the years. That's, and part of that is the church on fire, the fire in the west, as I mentioned last week. That's part of the reason it's kind of helped. It's not the only reason. It's not the only reason we've stayed. But it is part of it. It's because we believe that the, the revival is still available. It's still the desire of God to the church to be this glowing uh, example on earth of what God intended in the first place. So with that said, I just want to read this quote. I love this because it, it's going to, I'm going to try to tie this a little, I am going to try to tie Mother's Day into this message. You know, it's one of those days as a pastor you get up here, and before I'm even up here, I've got notes written all over my notes, and you're just going, man, I'm going to be excited about what I'm going to say today, too. You know, Because <laughs> I don't fully know yet, but we'll see. James Bryan Smith says, I needed to be reminded that as a follower of Jesus, I am peculiar, in the best sense of that word. Peculiar, that is, to the world around me that does not live by the teachings of Jesus. My life is rooted in the eternal and strong kingdom of God. The roots of my life are in the future, safe and secure, which gives me the strength to live unselfishly, to strive for unity in the midst of diversity, to forgive even when it's not easy, to set my standards high, to live generously, to long to be worshiping in the house of the Lord and to be a witness of new life to a dying world. I need to be reminded, that I, but reminded and I need a community around me to help me remember who and whose I am and what it means for my daily life. You know, Jan and I were talking this week. Often we sit in here and... Not necessarily because anything I preach, but because we're in the community, the Konania, something happens in this room that doesn't happen elsewhere. It just, it just, it's just the way the Spirit works. And, 
doesn't mean the Spirit doesn't work elsewhere. You know that's not what I'm saying. But something happens when his people gather together with the same Spirit and the same intent. Something happens in it. But it is interesting, right, that we can sit in this room. is what we were talking about. And, we, and we, we, whether we hear it in song with other people, we're, we're with people who seem excited about all this. We hear maybe a message that, that kind of lights something in us. And in that moment, you're going, let's do this. You get outside these walls, and it's Monday, and it's Tuesday, and you're going, what happened to that? Anybody? Can I get a witness to that? You go, something happened in that room. Something happened while I was there that I knew in my, I know know in my knower that I'm called for, for more. I know in my knower that I, he is more than able. I know that. But somehow or another, when I get there, these doubts, these thoughts, these soundtracks, as we've talked about, begin to take up space. I was very fortunate, and I'm fortunate now, I was very fortunate to be born with an awesome mom that was lived to be 90, and she was awesome from the day I met her <laughs> till the day she passed away. Not everybody can say that, and I know that. And so I, I'm not trying to go, well, you were just very fortunate. I, I had nothing to do with it, as you well know. So I can't brag on it in that sense. All I can do is brag on her. But I didn't have anything to do with it. But I was very fortunate to be born in that. The only one I had a choice on was I I married Jan. So I've been married for 37 years now to an awesome mom, right? And so many of you know her. So I've I've, I've had that fortunate uh, life of seeing both. And and so so when I, but but the reality is, you know, when we look at the, the scripture that we've been using over this last many weeks, and we will transition out of it one of these days, probably next Sunday, but... But it says now to Ephesians 3, 20, 21, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. I was very fortunate to have a mom who wasn't just thinking about that moment, she was thinking about the future. She would have probably not articulated it that way, but yeah, when I got a spanking, and yes, I did, and you probably, it's not hard for you to imagine that I did, being a little brother, (laughs) annoying as I was, and I've said this before, little brothers are annoying, and they 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 never outgrow it. Okay, that's just a fact. I'm annoying to this day, okay? And I just pick at people. I love picking at people. I love jabbing at people. I love kind of digging. I'm annoying. (laughs) However, my mom could see in the future. Okay? So, yeah, I'd have to go out. How many of you ever had to go get your own switch to be spanked with? Anybody in here? Now, some of you in here are going, man, that woman needed to be locked up. She used a switch? peach tree switch and I thought the smaller it was the better but no that's the more whip it's got I learned that early on 
but she could see into the future that I got to deal with something now that in the future is going to be a problem. Now, I'm not recommending using a switch or spanking your kids. Let you and the Lord and the law deal with all that. (laughs) What I am telling you is I'm glad my mom did. You can do with it what you wish. But she knew that she was not just, she she would look at, and she's trying to raise a young man at that point, a boy, who not only was that for that time and that season, but hopefully he'd be a father, he'd be a husband, he'd be something different, where his generations and the way he connected things mattered. It mattered. Now, for some of you in here, as a mom, I'm going to guess you're wanting to stop some generational things. Going, it's time for it to stop here. That's my guess. In a crowd this size, that's my guess. You're, but you're also going to start something. You're stopping something that no longer needs to move forward. And you're starting something. You know, my mom and dad... If you saw, I don't know if you got the picture up there or not. But my mom and dad, they're in their 80s. And if you saw my mom and dad, one of the things my mom and dad taught me and taught us together as a family was in, 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 not in these words, but to hear people's stories, to know them better. You know, my mom and dad, if you look at my mom and dad and you go, they're 80 there probably. My dad's, maybe my mom's still in her 70s, but 80. And you would see them and you would go, okay. They're just older people, but you and I both know they have a story, right? There's something that got them to that age. So when I see them, I see integrity. I see perseverance and grit. I see intentionality. I see faith. I see something there. And my dad, my dad at eight years old was the, was the sole income for his family driving a team of horses. Now, just think about that. You think spanking your child is child abuse. Saying to your eight-year-old son, you're the only way we can make it. And he goes out and drives a team of horses in 1930. We, we, I mean, that blows our minds up today. My dad laid on the battlefield for four days. I've told this story often. Four days in Casino, Italy. And he worked his way back to the, to the, to the allied forces, to the forces by, by, by one of those little shovels that you'd dig to go to, usually use the shovel to dig a foxhole or go to the bathroom, whichever one. But you would use that. And he pushed himself back for four days on the battlefield. 14 months in a hospital. Gets out at a, 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 a grocery store in Granis, Arkansas, a town of 150 people on his crutches after 14 months in the hospital as a hero, right? No, he has to walk on his crutches two miles to get home. Nobody there to pick him up. So I got to see perseverance. Where'd it go? I don't know where they went. But I got to see this perseverance and this grit. My dad dealt with PTSD my whole life, and he lived to be 89 years old. My mom had polio. So they would put her in these hot baths 
And they would just soak her, whether we would do that today or not, obviously probably not the way we would go about that. But to see her live through that and push through that. And to watch them in 1978, where they were on the verge of six kids in my family, on the verge of getting a divorce and separated after 32 years of marriage. But to God to intervene and then to fall in love with each other again and for them to, to live their last, they, and they were married 64 years. So their last 32 was better than their first 32 because they, God intervened and they chose to persevere. Because I want to tell you right now, my nephews and nieces, four of them lived in my parents. At my parents were my, at mine and Jan's age and ended up with four teenagers in their home they were helping raise. Those kids don't make it, but if you met those kids today, they are awesome following after the Lord, running their own businesses because my parents made a decision halfway through their marriage. And what my point is this, you begin to watch that and you begin to say to yourself, man, I got to put myself aside and what's better for the context of, the, of, of my family So when I see them, I just don't see a couple of old people. I see a generational thing. I see a legacy. I see integrity. I see perseverance and grit. I see context. How many of you would say today, thank goodness? That if you saw a picture, and I'm going to say it about me, <clears throat> if you saw a picture of me from the age of 17 to 26, and you interviewed people that only knew me from that time, only, sure, I had more hair. It was cool. <laughs> had about 20 pounds less weight. You go, man, that man's in trouble. That dude's in trouble. He's not bringing any value to anything. Matter of fact, he's removing value from individuals. Not only his own life, he's stealing it from other people. He's diminishing their life. If that's all the context you had. You know, as a church, we talked about last week, Moving forward, this may, all not, this may not look like what we think it's going to look like, revival in the church. It may not look like the previous revivals. The fire that's going to fall may fall differently from the same source. Don't misunderstand me. <laughs> but look different than it's looked before. And one of the challenges, my mom, my mom used to say this to me at times. Don't just listen to me, hear me. I mean, don't just hear me, listen to me. That's what I meant to say. I said it the wrong way. Don't just hear me, listen to me. That's what I meant to say. Don't just hear the noise. Don't just know that I'm saying something, but listen to what I'm saying.
I think in our culture today, there's a lot of noise going on. And we hear it, but maybe we're not listening. As we said often in this previous series, talking about hear the report of the Lord, there's a lot of reports we're getting. There's a lot of noise we get. We get more information than any human should ever have tried to do in a lifetime. My my mom and dad's 90 years. I probably get more information in the next three weeks than they should have gotten 90 years. Just too much, what I mean is, there's just too much inundation. We can't process it, and so it just gets muddied. We can't separate it out. We don't know what the context is. We just hear a a tweet or we hear a, I mean, we read a a, a tweet or or we hear this or that. We put it in some kind of context. We don't know the context necessarily. And so we just divide and we separate. I love what Seth Godin says about listening. Because he says listening is difficult. He says, hearing happens when we're able to recognize a sound. Listening happens when we put effort into understanding what it means. It not only requires focus, but it also requires a commitment to encountering the experiences, intent, and emotion behind the words. And that commitment can be scary because if we're exposed to that emotion and those ideas, we discover things we might be avoiding. Now, that could be talked about in a marriage, in a family, but in the church and what's going on around us. In 2020, obviously, we remember the pandemic and all that went with that went for a long time, but... Obviously, you also remember in the middle of the summer of 2020, just the, 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 the division and no one listening as far as around the racial conversation in our country. And what I realized in there, many of you know, I have tried to educate, I've tried to expose, if you will, our students and different ones to, to, to be able to operate in that and understand and be close to the conversations. The reason why we've taken people back to Brother Paul so many times to have a different opportunity to live in that, set, set, that, that moment. But what I also know is I had a lot to learn. There's other conversations that go on in our culture right now that I think we have so much to learn that we're just not listening. You know, my mom, you know, as I was reading this week, I, I, I try to do the Bible through in a year. I'm not as, as, as consistent as I should be. Sometimes I'll skip a day or two, but I'll get back on it. And this week, reading Nehemiah and Esther and, and just reading about these, these leaders who prayed and fasted and, and just broke, brokenhearted for what was going on around them. That's where they started. 
That wasn't the last thing they tried. When they saw what was going on around them, what was happening to their people, and what happened to the city of Jerusalem, what, ha- what happened is they started there. Oh, and yeah, then Nehemiah did the midnight ride, and he went out and assessed it, but where he started was, God, break my heart. Show me. I talked about it last week. God, break my heart for what's breaking your heart. Now, again, I will say this. There are a lot of things as a local church you could get involved in. I don't know that we're supposed to be involved in every one of them unless God brings people to us that have noble heart, full of the Holy Spirit, that says, I want to help lead us in that. Just because somebody has an inkling towards it doesn't mean necessarily that that's what we're supposed to go tackle, in my opinion. God gives gifts and graces, passions, but he also gives noble heart and full of the Holy Spirit. But I think all these that we are faced with If we get too much noise and too much, what's the right word? Being overwhelmed with information. You know, I, I, many of you know, I've, I've talked about context. You know, as we read scripture, we, obviously we should read it in context. It just helps us. It just it doesn't mean you don't get a good jest, you know, the jest of something. You don't get a good understanding of something. You just read it like I did my first year as a Christian. I didn't know where to go look for more deeper contextual things. But I would just read it, the word on the paper, and I'd try to apply it. But as time went on, it made even more sense, okay? It didn't take away from Scripture. It just made it go deeper into me. You know, many of you know that I, one of my favorite passages of Scripture is talking about the parable of the sower. And Jesus would talk about parables, as you, most of you know in here. And we'd do it in such a way that he'd take something that's ordinary, then give you an illustration of it so you could figure, oh, I, now that makes sense. You'd trick them, almost like trick your mind. you go, ah, oh, now I get it. But the parable of the sower and dirt number three is the one that I worry about. And, and I'm not going to read the passage of Scripture just for the sake of time. I, I, I would encourage you to, to go read it in, in Mark chapter 4. But he talks about that a good seed fell on the soil, but then the things, the cares, the cares, the cares of this world come along and do what? Choke it out. So we had a good thought. So we, so we leave here on a Sunday, right? We have this, let's go do this. But if we're not careful, the cares of this world and what it literally means is it intertwines itself with the good. It, it not just the weed that just grows beside it. It begins to t- t- tie itself around it and choke it out. The very good soil is now getting choked out. But we also read, and the reason why I want to say this is, we read in Matthew 13, the, the parable of the wheat and the weeds. Anybody remember that? And the King, New King James Version calls it tares. And there's a reason why that's important. Because the weeds in Mark chapter 4 are those weeds that we would all walk along and go, that's a weed. <laughs> that's wheat. That's a weed. 
I know the difference between the two. But a tear is different. A tear doesn't wrap itself around the weed. It just grows beside it and tries to look like it. Why is that important? Because if we're going to be the church we're supposed to be, in context of those two scriptures, why is it easy for us to get out of here? And I, I'm talking to Kurt. I'm not talking to, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure this out for me because the biggest concern in the parable of the sower is me landing dirt three. I'm not worried about the first two dirts if you want to go look them up. Is that I'm concerned at times that the cares of this world the very passion that I have, the very desire I know in my mind, my knower, choke it out before it gets into my doer. Because then what happens is, if we're not careful, we become a tear. The fire is out. Oh, what does Jesus say to the church at Ephesus? He said, you've left your first love. You used to, what he's saying is, you, you, you did love me. And you've done all the right things. Tears, they look like Christians. They're pseudo. You look like you're doing the right thing, but you've lost the fire. You've lost your first love. Yes, you did love me. But the cares of this world. You know, one of the, one of the biggest things, I remember my mom specifically, because my dad died seven years before my mom did, but I remember so clearly her biggest concern was that she would outlive her purpose. That, that just, that, that was one of the things she and I would sit and talk about. And I would have to encourage her and go, you don't understand. Because I would call my mom every Sunday morning. I mean, for decades, I'd call my mom every Sunday morning before church. Until she passed away, every Sunday morning. Now, she didn't give me any words of wisdom to preach or, yeah. I, but there was something about I needed that. Or my sister, my, my younger sister, who's 12 years younger than me, she would, she's a school counselor, has been for years, but she would come home in the afternoon, not give names away, but she would just debrief with my mom in the afternoon, just, to, just a place to come and just kind of... And I remember my mom, the last year she was there, she was, she was here with us. She was 90 years old, and she, we thought she had broken her ribs the day before we got there because she was cleaning the house and fell, and she lived by herself and drove and all that kind of stuff. And Jan took her to the ER when we got there. said, you need to go get this checked out. And, uh, and, and the, uh, the doctor came back out, and he goes, Miss Gentry, he said, you know, you're bruised and all that. He said, but you still have a lot of tread left on the tires. I think that's actually the words he used. You still have a lot of tread left on the tires. He said, you may have 10 more years left. And she goes, oh, no, no, no. I do not want that. I do not want that. 
because of fear of outliving your purpose. Well, she didn't outlive it, and neither did my dad, thank goodness. I've told you this before. My parents taught me how to live, but the great, one of the greatest things they've shown me is how to die. With grace and with love. But one of the things my mom will be my, in, in, in burned into my brain the rest of my life, and I think this goes back to Nehemiah and Esther. In those years, I still lived at home, and I should have been moved out. I wasn't. And the reason was because I was spending my money on things I shouldn't have been spending on from the time I was 19 to 21 before I moved to Dallas to go to work with Texas Instruments. I would come home at 3 or 4 in the morning from wherever I was running. And my mom, those who've sitting, I, don't, I wish I had a picture of our house. But we lived up on a hill, and our front window was this massive picture window. I mean, now if you know what a picture, it's just a massive glass, and then there's two windows, but it's massive. I knew when I pulled my car up in that driveway, I would see her getting up from her chair and going to bed. Because she knew I'd made it home. She wasn't going to bed until I got home. I'd walk right beside her, just drunker than Cooter Brown, as they were saying. She would never say a word to me. She'd just go on to bed. But she knew I was on her watch. She was praying. She was believing that there were better days for me somewhere. Somewhere out there, there were better days. And she felt the only thing she knew to do at that point was stand watch. Most of the things I were doing, she would not have approved of. But man, I knew I was loved. I think the what, part of what the world is waiting for us and revival and listening and hearing and context and sitting and praying and fasting and weeping is that picture I get of my mom sitting by the picture window. She knew I was a long ways from where I needed to be. But she wasn't going to let up. Because she believed in me. You know, we're part of a peculiar group, as I read from James Bryan Smith. And when we, when we know that our future is secure... There's a lot of things and a lot of places we can go. A lot of things we can do with our money because my future is secure. A lot of things I can do with my time and my talent, even my home physical body, put myself in places I might not put them before because my, my future is secure. To listen in context and don't just see a picture of 80-year-olds and go, oh, I look, you know, glad they made it that far. We talk about it in Uncommon a lot, talking about game changer. When you hear people's story, it changes things. When you hear people's story, it explains something. My challenge to you as we as a church here on this Mother's Day and is that each one of us, and I mentioned it last week, 
One of the greatest things, I think, is a trace of who God is in our lives is that we can walk this earth with empathy and compassion and grace. Is that everywhere we go today, we just got to believe that God's already already at work in people's lives. So wherever I go and whatever I do today, whether it's a store or whether it's in my home or wherever that is, I've just got to believe that God is more than able to change a life and he's already up to something. And so basically what I've got to do is just walk into that with this confidence. What if I heard somebody's story? What if I took the time? What if this tyranny of the urgent is not all over my life, that I've got to get to this next place? Charles Hummel says this about the tyranny of the urgent. Just sign him, why don't you guys come on up again? And I know we have a lot of interest in life and a lot of things that, that suck the life out of us, but he says this. He's don't let the urgent take the place of the important in your life. Oh, the urgent will really fight, claw, and scream for attention. It will plead for your time and even make us think we've done the right thing by calming its nerves. But the tragedy is all, of it, all is this. While you and I are putting out the fires of the urgent and everyday affair, the important was again left in a holding pattern. And interest, interestingly, the important is neither noisy nor demanding. Unlike the urgent, it patiently and quietly waits for us to realize its significance. I don't know what that means for your life, but I do know for as a church... For the church to be on fire. And I'm speaking to me again like I said earlier. As much as I am to anybody if not more. I live my life so much on what's got to be done right now. And I understand that. We all deal with that. But like he says. The most important just sits over here quietly. Just waiting for us to realize how significant it really is. Again, I'm so thankful that I had parents, especially my mom on Mother's Day. She had a servant's heart. And she had a way of knowing, just sit down, stop, listen. Not only she required it of me, but she lived it out. As we sing that song, More Than Able, we're going to sing it again. Pastor Brand said earlier, whether it's your first day today to know Jesus as your Savior or however long it's been, man, I, we would love to have the opportunity next Sunday to share as a community, as a family, in Christian baptism. But for some of you, you need to take that step first. The urgent thing you need to do today to get out of here and go wherever you need to go. Today for you may be the day of salvation. Today. Today if you hear my voice, he says, do not harden your heart. Don't do it.
you have a story to tell, we would love to hear it and live it out with you. Would you stand with us as we pray for us? Lord, everybody in here has a story. And that story is intertwined into the divine drama. And Lord, I I know for me, I didn't even know there was a divine drama going on (laughs) until I gave my life to you and realized how much you had chased me, how much you loved me, how much you wanted to use me. Lord, I pray that even this day, we slow down, whether it's around loved ones or people we believed you've crossed our paths with, and you've already been up to work, you've already been up at working in their lives. But Lord, today, maybe this day, whether younger or older or in between, this day, they've heard your voice differently. And this day, Lord, on Mother's Day, 2023, they would commit their life to you. Confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that you were raised from the dead. You are who you say you are. Your word assures us that we shall be saved. Lord, thank you for that. We love you. Lord, help us now as we sing. And as you move in Jesus' name.